first of all, of course, what you see on television with Dragon's Den is not how it goes in practice. I mean, <laughs> we have um, we have multiple calls nowadays, mostly with Zoom or other type of online uh, online tools. The instances that you do an elevator pitch are just very rare. Welcome to the Young Entrepreneurs Podcast by the Philips Innovation Award. In this podcast, we will talk with young entrepreneurs who participated in the Philips Innovation Award and turned their game-changing ideas into a successful startup. And we invite industry experts or inspiring entrepreneurs to challenge these young entrepreneurs in a good conversation. The Young Entrepreneur Podcast will provide you with eye-opening founder stories and at the same time will motivate you to start your first business. Welcome listeners, this is the first episode of the Young Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Anik and I'm the chairman of the Philips Innovation Award. And next to me we have Simon, our host of today. Yeah, thank you Anik. Yeah, I'll be hosting the podcast mostly. Um, I got a text message I think two months ago or so that I had the great honor of, uh, of helping you out. So I came back from England uh, where I'm studying in order to, uh, in order to co-host this. And I'm very excited because we have two very uh, interesting guests, I think. We have uh, Maarten on the one hand, co-founder yes. of Felix, Hi. which is a very famous electric... Sc- well, you can tell a bit more about it yourself later, actually, Maarten. Sure. Really good to have you here. And we also have Ernst, who is uh, investment manager at Slingshot Ventures. It's great to have you both here. Uh, and maybe it's good if you first briefly introduce yourself and your companies. Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Martin, one of the co-founders of Felix. And Felix is a shared mobility concept where you can rent shared mopeds through your app, uh, paying 30 cents per minute. We have over uh, 2,000 uh, scooters available currently in uh, seven cities in the Netherlands and Belgium, uh, and over 60 uh, people working at Felix uh, headquarters. Over 60 people working there already, yeah. And Ernst, uh, maybe you can tell a bit more about Slingshot and, uh, and about your own background. Yeah, of course. Well, I work for Slingshot Ventures. Uh, we are a venture capital investment firm. That basically means that we invest in mostly promising startups and scale-ups. Uh, so companies that have a specific type of technology and are doing something groundbreaking. We, uh, we want to find those companies. And if we really believe in them, we uh, tend to invest in those companies. And then when we do so, we help them uh, to grow and accelerate their business. We are headquartered in Amsterdam. Uh, we have a team of about nine people and we executed about 13 transactions from this fund and currently have investments in uh, a couple of Dutch companies, but have also invested in companies from Tel Aviv, Germany and London. Great to have you both here. Thank you very much uh, for that introduction. Anik, what are we going to do today? Well, today we're going to talk about, um, well, as a startup, how can you raise funding? And as an investor, what do you look at if you uh, talk to startups? Uh, what are important aspects that you take into account when investing in a startup? Yeah, so we're really talking about the very early stages of, uh, of developing your business and attracting funds. So, Maarten, maybe it's good to start with you. As a founder, in 2016, you and Quinton founded, uh, established Felix, really. And the following year, you already took part in, uh, in the FIA, in the Philips Innovation Award. Um, four years ago, did you already expect that it was going to go as fast as it did? Well, looking back, it, it's, it's a way bigger adventure than we, than we first thought. And um, first, our idea was to get things off the ground, to, to launch our, the, this, the concept, to, to have the first scooters uh, in the streets being driven by, uh, by uh, customers. Uh, but uh, yeah, so looking back, uh, we are uh, yeah, very proud uh, of, the, of where we are at the moment. Yeah. 
and this was four years ago. You were or you were still studying then as well. Next uh, to it, well, or, no, I just I, quit your studies. I worked as a consultant for a little less than two years, and then started with uh, Felix full time uh, from from scratch. Yeah. And what was the turning point? Because you said four years ago, I didn't quite expect it to be as big now as it is. So when was the turning point when you started thinking, okay, maybe this can actually grow into a very established brand? Yeah, that was really the early days when we first launched in Amsterdam. We had three trucks uh, full of scooters coming to Amsterdam. They were being picked up by our friends and they they were uh, driven around uh, through the city. And that was the first time when we saw people actually using our product, liking our product. Uh, and, and we started seeing uh, strange people because at first uh, just friends were driving around. And then we start, started seeing uh, people we didn't know on our scooters. And then we thought, okay, this is exciting. This, this can be uh, promising towards the future. It yeah. was a bit as if you're like a starting musician and at the beginning, you only have a concert hall filled with filtered friends and family yep. up to the point where you actually start yep. doing it more professionally and there are there are strangers in the room yeah um how did the idea of felix come about and how did you take your first steps in order to develop it into an actual business yeah yeah so uh, quinton uh, my co-founder and i were uh, roommates at the time and we were al always thinking about uh, entrepreneurial ideas to to maybe start our own business but uh, never really had the, had the idea that, that we thought could work. And at one point we were just uh, driving around in a, in a car to go in Amsterdam, a shared car. And um, we realized that th this was not really the, the most optimal way uh, to, to go around town. Like a car uh, is stuck in traffic and you have to find a parking spot. Especially uh, in the narrow streets of Amsterdam. Yeah, maybe. yeah, where somebody uh, on the canals can block the way for uh, for maybe 15 minutes. So uh, we thought like, okay, what's the fastest way to get around uh, town? And that's actually a, a moped. And um, uh, then we started thinking, okay, there's no shared mopeds uh, yet, uh, or for what we know. Uh, but this really could work because it's really convenient as, a, as an urban mobility concept. And uh, we started investigating and uh, found out that there was just one uh, company beginning in San Francisco and doing this. But that also gave us proof that this indeed might be a good idea to, to purchase ourselves as well. Yeah, so I think it's very clever that when you just have an idea, you start looking around. Has, have any others already tried to develop this? And uh, does it work there? Yeah. Um, and then you start thinking about funding as well, maybe. How can you take us through that process a bit? Yeah, so so uh, Quint and I were both uh, coming from like a consulting background. Uh, so we really started off with uh, drafting the financial model in, in Excel and uh, drafting a, a business plan in, in PowerPoint and really getting everything together, structuring everything, structuring our thoughts, making calculations, ma making business case assumptions. And um, with that information, uh, with that plan, uh, we started uh, knocking on doors, uh, asking people if they could uh, introduce us to potential uh, investors. And uh, yeah, first of all, first we were probably mostly rejected uh, because we were too early in the process. But it also helps you to pro to to get get feedback and to to improve your plan and your thoughts. Uh, so ultimately, we were able to find uh, angel investors to to back our idea. I find it really interesting that you bring in consultancy as well. And I'm also very curious to hear what you think here, Anik, because um, students like us, I think, very often think, okay. Maybe I want to become an entrepreneur as well, but 
maybe it's, it's more clever to first get a few years of corporate background, either in, in just a big corporate or in a consultancy or banking firm, in order to already gain gain some experience. Uh, so, Marta, did you feel like that helped you a lot with developing your ideas and you using PowerPoint yeah, and, or yeah. just, just by using PowerPoint and Excel properly? I, I think it's really, really helpful to structure your thoughts and, and to know uh, what... Uh, uh, in what way uh, people communicate in the business world and and how they uh, structure uh, yeah documents uh, and plans and presentations uh, or or how to to ha- have a meeting and how to follow up on meetings um, but the the tricky part of, of of starting in the corporate world is that you you'll never leave it if you want to become an entrepreneur because you get like a golden handcuffs and a nice uh, uh, employment terms uh, but uh, yeah if you want to do it you have to really uh, also get out of there at some point yeah what do you think about that Anik? But like, if do you think after your studies that you will start as an em- entrepreneur? Yes, yeah, as an entrepreneur, or first take the, the safe route and maybe be locked in by the golden handcuffs that Marcel's No, I think about. I'm going for the last one. But I think <laughs> it should be really in, like you should really be an entrepreneur yourself, and you should have that drive. And I already know that I <laughs> do not really have the drive to be an entrepreneur, although I want to be successful. But I think in another way because I like to have some structure and not having to face all those risks all the time and having to think about. Yeah, what would be my next idea? And yeah, yeah Marta, I have a question for you because you participated in the Philips Innovation Award and like, how did it help you in the early days? Because although I might have an ID um, as a student and I had multiple IDs during my studies, I never took it to the next level. So how did you come up with, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it this and I'm going to participate? Yeah, so firstly, it helps you to to challenge you and to come up with a a nice presentation, a nice pitch and to present it to people uh, on stage or uh, in in other breakout uh, sessions. So it really, um, yeah, uh, gives you practice how to uh, bring about your idea. Um, and second of all, when you uh, when you maybe win uh, certain elements or maybe the big prize, uh, it also gives you credibility uh, because you like you put a stamp on your business plan saying, okay, we were selected by the Philips Innovation Awards uh, as one of the top ideas. And uh, as as a startup, uh, you're also looking for uh, for credibility uh, to to prove to investors, uh, potential investors, that uh, that you are a serious company with serious ideas. Yeah, investors like like Ernst here. So, do do you often look actually, Ernst, if you if you're looking for startups or potential companies to invest in, do you look at prizes such as the Philips Innovation Awards as well? And are there any caveats maybe to to talk about there as well? Yeah, that's that's a difficult question. Um, I mean, certain prizes definitely help to provide some credibility. I mean, if you are selected for some uh, AI accelerator program or or prestigious prize like the Philips Innovation Award, uh, which is a serious contest, and that definitely helps. Um, uh, but we also tend to be uh, a little bit cautious when it comes to founders having won all kinds of prizes. Um, because all the time that you spend collecting these prizes, you could also have spent that in building your business. And so there is this fine balance between getting yourself out there, making sure you are seen as a startup and as a founder, and then going back to the office and seriously building your business. Yeah, founding a business is more than pitching, you'd say. You also need to actually uh, do some work on the ground. Yeah, pitching is, uh, in my opinion, uh, a trick. Yeah. Uh, some people are very good at pitching, uh, just like uh, doing interviews for a job. Um, but yeah, then still the question remains, 
Uh, are they also building a serious and 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 well-run company? So how do you do that? If like if if a couple of companies are pitching for you and some of them are just much more persuasive in their communicative skills, do you have any ways in which you try to still focus on their products and not be misled too much by the nice and shiny image? Yeah, well, first of all, of course, what you see on television with Dragons Den is not how it goes in practice. I mean, <laughs> we have um, we have multiple calls nowadays, mostly with Zoom or other type of online uh, online tools, um, and it's not. You, you, the, the, the instances do, that you do an elevator pitch are just very rare. Um, so we always have an investment deck with a lot of information um, and we tend to deep dive into these specific topics. I mean, we see about 800 to 900 different companies a year. Um, most of them also with an investment deck. So I think that we are getting good at uh, directly seeing, okay, we want to dive into these specific topics because we know they, ha they have to have uh, these uh, these type of things, or they have to do this right in order to be really be a good company. Um, well, and what are the key par parameters you look at then? Because you say, yeah, okay, we have to look at eight, nine hundred companies. You can't like endlessly uh, go into detail. What are the things that like you look at most? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, what I found really really nice to hear in the story of uh, of Mart is that he went around the city and he saw a problem and he thought about a solution. And I think that at the core of every business ID, there is this problem and you come up with a master solution. Um, and what we try to validate is whether the pain that companies or consumers feel is a real pain. Um, and whether the solution that you have thought out is an actual solution uh, that solves that problem. Uh, so that's key for every startup. Um, and then, of course, you try to find out, okay, we have a problem and a solution. Is this also the team that is able to execute on this on this plan? And um, uh, so that in that sense, I also found it interesting to talk about the background of, of founders. Um, Having a, a strong consulting, investment banking, or, or serious background definitely gives you certain skills that can that can help uh, in building a better company. Does it also um, contribute to the validity if, like, companies come to you and it, it, let's say the founder has worked for Goldman or for BCG or for McKinsey before that, or does that not really contribute to the power of their ideas for you? Mm, that's a very difficult question yeah? because we also see very good companies being built by um, entrepreneurs without a uh, university education. So it's definitely um, not a necessary requirement, but would you say that it's a plus? Yeah, I mean, in general, I think that uh, and there's an English saying, birds of the same feather flock together. So it's it's this pitfall that you shouldn't step into, that you uh, try to, or you're more eager to invest in people that are exactly like you. Uh, so that's something we definitely challenge each other on um, and to keep an open mind. Um, but yeah, certain, certain uh, professional skills, having a good network, um, knowing how to uh, structure your thoughts, execute on it uh, in, a, in a structured way. Um, I, at least my personal opinion is, is that it helps in building a, a serious business. Yeah. And I'm also quite curious because you mentioned this problem solution structure of finding an idea in the first place. You've worked with a lot of startups, but I reckon that in your daily life, you must also see a lot of problems that you think of, hmm, maybe I can find a solution for this as well. Have you ever considered starting your own business yourself or, or do you think you'll do so in the future? So yeah, I've considered it, um, but yeah, you also have to be uh, realistic to yourself and, and question what are you good at in life. Um, and uh, personally, I think I'm better at 
helping companies and accelerating their their uh, business when there is already some type of company. But in that respect, this is a very good place to be for me right now. But you don't know what uh, the future will bring. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. And Marta, do you consider yourself as a real entrepreneur, or do you see yourself working for corporate again one time? I, I think I, I I tend to be more like an entrepreneur. Uh, I can be also a bit stubborn sometimes, uh, chasing my own ideas. Uh, I also had a. Um, uh, um, Like I built an app with my brother uh, before I uh, uh, initiated uh, Felix, and that uh, that ultimately didn't work. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I was I was chasing ideas always a little bit. Uh, I wasn't selling uh, stuff in the in the schoolyard. That, that wasn't on me. But uh, what I was the app, by the way? Uh, it was like um, like a balance between people uh, owing each other money. It's like uh, wie betaalt wat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then with uh, with uh, like push mes- messages that you would also uh, get real time uh, uh, feedback. And why did it not work eventually? Um, I think we uh, we we had an Apple version um, and it worked okay-ish, but uh, we also had some issues uh, with de- development and we didn't uh, launch an Android version and ultimately we didn't uh, 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 set. True. Uh, yeah. Put it uh, forward. Uh, so uh, yeah, we we sort of uh, disengaged. Uh, And now that you have an idea that that did come through, really, yeah. do you feel like the entrepreneurialism is addictive in a way, or do you, as Annie said, maybe will you go back uh, at some point to work for Heineken or for for a big consultancy firm? Or? Yeah, I think I think it's not very likely, but or uh, for a venture yeah, capitalist, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if uh, <laughs> if if you would have a. Uh, a very good uh, exit one day, you might be able to invest in, in other companies. So that, that would be uh, really cool. Or you would set up your own uh, new company. Uh, but uh, It's not that, on the that, horizon that, right now. No, no, we're too too early to tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let us know when yeah. uh, when you had the exit. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, that that's really great. Founders helping other founders to uh, to grow their business. That's something we really believe in. Yeah. Do you feel like that happens a lot, actually? Is there is there a lot of competition mostly? Or is there also a lot of cooperation between founders in a city like Amsterdam? Well, maybe Mar- Martin can answer it even better than I do, but I truly believe that there is a lot of cooperation. Um, many startups don't really compete with each other um, and they can mostly learn of each other. Um, so you have a couple of successful tech founders uh, in, in this tech scene um, and a lot of young entrepreneurs are really eager to learn from these uh, guys and, and some girls, uh, unfortunately, not as much as, as guys. But um, yeah, and that's no. because people like Anik want to go into corporates rather than, uh, <laughs> than start They're starting up very my own business but yeah amsterdam and and the netherlands is, is quite small so the community uh, is already uh, quite easily established and uh, indeed you can help each other uh, out with negotiations with payment service providers with hr with uh, other marketing uh, uh, things uh, so so you don't have to to compete uh, to to share knowledge about uh, thir- certain things in, uh, in in business yeah No, that's really interesting. And if you look back, both of you maybe, because obviously our listeners may want to start their own business and maybe wary of certain mistakes. What do you think are the are the mistakes that people most often make when they're in the early development of uh, of founding their business? Yeah, I think um, when you are really serious about your ideas, you shouldn't be uh, scared to share them with others and discuss them with others and really uh, uh, ask, ask them what they think and and, and, and get their feedback because... Uh, if you if you if you um, uh, only work on your idea in secret and uh, don't share it with anyone, and then you finally present it to the market, and it 
and it turns out there's no demand for it, uh, you then you waste a lot of, 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 of time. So uh, yeah. yeah. And did you learn that the hard way, or? Um, yeah, maybe with the with the, f- with the first app, uh, with the payments app, we had we we kept it more secret, uh, and and with Felix, we really uh, discussed people like, okay, what if, what if uh, you would be able to to book a scooter uh, through an app? Would you be would be, would you use it? Would you think it's nice? Uh, and uh, yeah, we we really started going out on the streets, also talking to random people. Okay, uh, waiting on the bus. Uh, w- what if you would be able to book a scooter right now? And, and did anyone respond like so negatively that you were almost discouraged to? to There's start always there? people negative, especially in the Netherlands. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not I a problem. That when they uh, when they were working on the Airbnb proposal and asked people whether they would be, would be willing to rent out their uh, their house, a lot of people also disagreed. Yeah. Uh, but so sometimes you just have to go on and believe in your own idea and. Some yeah. entrepreneurs are actually able to change the market and to change the way people thinks, uh, think. And those are the entrepreneurs that really uh, do the greatest things. Is that your aim as well, Marathon, to change the market? Yeah, so we, we, we really see that um, especially car traffic in, in cities is still uh, taking up like one third of the movements. And uh, I think we should really move away from 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 cars in in in, in city traffic, and that's where uh, shared mopeds can be really uh, convenient. Um, uh, cars take up a lot of space when they're driving, when they're uh, uh, when they're sitting still in parking lots, uh, and I think we can really make a movement towards shared mobility, which is electric and clean, uh, uh, and used multiple times a day uh, instead of uh, personal unused uh, cars yeah. and such. And we already heard that in the very early stages, the Philip Innovation Awards helped you a bit to get like a quality stamp, maybe for investors as well. Do you feel like at this stage, you still have a lot of benefits from participating in that earlier? Were there some lessons that you learned by participating in the competition that are still very valuable today? Um, I think it's, it's it's part of the phase where you're in as uh, as a startup. So in in that phase, it, it helps you to c- to get across your ideas, to to be challenged by uh, by a jury, uh, to uh, to talk and meet uh, investors or, or other uh, startup founders. Um, uh, so it was really helpful at that time, and and now we're in a in a different uh, phase of the company. Uh, so so we're looking at different things uh, at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And what has been, if you talk about the investors that you met there, what what has been the most crazy or challenging question that you received from them? We are operating in in public space, so uh, the governments and the municipalities uh, have a say in what you're doing. uh, Because uh, now we have, for example, a permit in Amsterdam and in Rotterdam. Uh, so that that scares off uh, some investors, uh, saying, "Okay, maybe uh, that's that's a tricky part about your business." Uh, so uh, be aware. And, and how uh, do you, how do you mitigate these risks? Because I can imagine that, especially for electric scooters, I think in Amsterdam for a while it was legislation that these could drive on the bike, like on the bicycle bike, lanes yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. But now they have to go on the car lanes. Like, yeah. how did you mitigate these challenges, especially when looking for funds? Well, that that was actually one of the the maybe the mistakes we made in the beginning is that we we launched in Amsterdam 108 scooters, uh, talked to many people uh, in the in the municipality, saying, okay, this is our idea and this is what we're gonna do. Is it okay? And they said, okay, that's fine, just go ahead. But we didn't have like a, a signature black and white uh, on paper um, uh, uh, allowing us to operate. And then when uh, 
all the bike sharing companies from uh, from mostly from Asia uh, came along. Uh, there was a big uh, mess in Amsterdam and, and a lot of nuisance from all the shared bikes that are laying around everywhere. And we were, we, we got uh, threatened to also be uh, had, uh, that we had to stop our business. Uh, so we we did have uh, some uh, communication back and forth with the city, uh, but we didn't have a, a signature on paper. So that's maybe a lesson, which also would be something that an investor would challenge you. Okay, how would you mitigate indeed this risk uh, then by indeed uh, getting uh, formal approval yeah and i also find it quite funny that you mentioned that the philips innovation award mostly helps you in the very early stages of of the business shouldn't anik shouldn't we also just have a philips innovation award from going from a startup to a scale up or for the different phases of of, of their development or do we just think that wouldn't work very well well maybe it works but i think we just give the kickstart and afterwards you are like more prepared for starting your own company or getting in the real world with real investors. You you provide the slingshot we, and then they have to accelerate. Really, exactly. Yeah. So we have the partners and they can start talking. We yeah. just give them the kickstart and then after the Philips Innovation Award, yeah, they really have to uh, take a deep dive and. Uh, and during that deep dive, Ernst, uh, for you, what are what do you think are uh, unexpected or surprising questions that you sometimes ask uh, startups that they, that you feel like they n- don't normally think about too much. Um, yeah, well, I think that we really try to understand who is who are these individuals. Uh, because in the end, what we believe in is if you have a problem and you think you have the solution, then the one factor that will determine whether the company will become a success is, is the people doing it. Um, and so you really try to find out what is their motivation, how bad do they want this, do they wake up every day working, let's say, 14, 15 hours a day um, on this business ID because it's the greatest thing they can do every day. Um, and that's what you want to see. You want to see passion, a sparkle, a true conviction that what they are doing is, is the coolest thing on earth. Um, and yeah, well, crazy questions you can ask about that. Um, yeah, I don't know them exactly, but that that that's a big part, of course, of uh, of the whole discussions. And if you look at the maturity of startups, like what is the minimum requirement of maturity that a startup needs to have in order to attract investment? Maybe not only through venture capital funds, but also through through other means. Yeah, well, for us. Um, we have this criterion is what we call traction uh, and traction is quite a wide term eh, because uh, it can also mean that you have your first users actually using or beta testing a product, but it can also mean that you already realize revenues. Uh, so if you look in a broader uh, sense to the venture capital scene, I mean, you, you can basically go out there with a PowerPoint, uh, convince your family, friends and a lot of fools to, to fund your startup with, let's say, 50K. Um, at, that's already when you can get funding. Um, where we tend to invest is is after that phase, uh, when uh, startups already got their first funding to to get their business off the ground, um, are having traction, are having a MVP, are already having some product market fit, uh, and that's when we feel comfortable to uh, to invest a lot more uh, because our investments typically start from about five hundred thousand euros upwards. Um, as I would would not really be wise to come up to us with a PowerPoint uh, because probably it, it wouldn't make sense. I mean, uh, you can probably first better go to your family and raise, let's say, 50K and, and try to uh, try to build the first beginning. Yeah. And Marta, you if, if we talk about traction, Felix obviously did quite well. You attracted over 10 million uh, euros in, in funding. 
What do you think was the key ingredient to that success? Um, yeah, I think um, we the, the hardest part for us was, was first launching indeed because uh, we couldn't show traction before we we purchased scooters and those those were quite expensive. So uh, for us as a, as a startup, we are quite uh, asset heavy. Uh, so that was a, a, the major challenge to to, to get things uh, off the ground, uh, but then when we realized to get funding for those scooters and we were putting them in the streets and, uh, and letting people drive, uh, we really saw uh, great traction and uh, organic growth uh, of uh, of rides. Um, how did you get that first? How did you get that first funding yet? Because like it's quite a big upfront investment. Maybe yeah. you can't. Uh, go by family and friends and, and get that much yeah. in order to already get 100 scooters placed in Amsterdam. Yeah. So yes. how did you uh, do that? So for us, uh, th- that was a big challenge. So um, we uh, we found angel investors to, to first finance um, the company. But then it was just uh, a well thought out plan. Uh, just a so PowerPoint, really. Yeah. Th- yeah, yeah, and a bit more, and uh, and and us, and ideas, and 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 uh, yeah, everything. But uh, but there was nothing uh, uh, fiscal. Uh, did, did you already know where you were going to get the scooters from, though? Or? Yeah, yeah. So we okay. we knew uh, suppliers, we knew uh, hardware, software, uh, everything. Uh, but we we didn't ha- we hadn't brought it together yet. Um, so, uh, so that, that was a really, uh, challenging step, but we, we made that and then we, uh, sort of did, uh, crowdfunding, uh, where we let, uh, individual investors, uh, finance the scooters. Um, so, uh, that way we could, uh, buy the scooters and we would pay, uh, interest to the people that, uh, financed the scooters. And how difficult was that? Because... You often hear crowdfunding in like the big success stories where startups suddenly raise like millions of euros. But obviously, I think in 95% of the cases, nothing is really raised. How did you go about that? Did you have to make some sort of promotion video? Uh, what were the factors determining your success there? Yeah, just so you have to make it uh, visible. We, we did make a commercial. We did create our own traffic uh a traffic um, jam in the city of Amsterdam where we would uh, cross by with a scooter. Uh, and you we had, had to create it yourself as well. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and we had our, uh, we had a normal electric scooter, which was not keyless, not, not based on an app, but we used it for the video. We wrapped it in green, putting a Felix logo on it. So we, we make, made it visible uh, to people, for people to, to see the picture. Uh, but we also made a really big uh, document uh, outlining all our plans, uh, like an investor mem- memorandum, um, and that way we uh, we set we, we we distributed that amongst uh, family and friends indeed uh, to to invest in a scooter and get an interest in return. Yeah, I think I think your story is really cool because um, it also shows that. Uh, you can attract many sources of financing. And especially if we, if we look at our type of funding, uh, which is very dilutive, uh, because we always get shares in return for our, uh, for our investment, then it wouldn't be very suitable for financing scooters. Uh, because scooters, th- those are assets, they have value. You can also go to a bank to finance scooters. Uh, as it wouldn't make sense to raise venture capital. And, and I think that what you did very well is that you you looked at your business and you realized, okay, for certain parts of my business, I can attract different types of funding. Um, and that's, that's also what we see. We see a lot of companies coming to us um, and wanting to raise uh, venture capital. Uh, but if you look to those companies, then, then it might be 
uh, SME companies uh, who have maybe the potential to grow with with a, with ten or twenty percent each year. That those are not the typical companies that that would get venture capital funding. Uh, so those why founders, is that? Um, because we are really looking at companies that have the potential to to grow at let's say uh, let's say two to three times their revenue each year. And you said you said it from the perspective of the startup. It's also important to realize that attracting venture, venture capital funding is dilutive. What does that exactly mean for, for our audience? And, and, and what, what is the consideration there? Yeah, it means that the share capital of the founders is diluted, and which means that basically after the transaction, we own, let's say, 20 or 30% of that company. And uh, most of the times, although we don't own the majority of the shares, we still have some preferential rights. Um, and so we might have vetoes on certain decisions. And so you have to be really aware that you won't be making all the decisions on your own anymore. Um, and so for the types of companies that I referred to before, it might might make much more sense to just build your business slowly and make sure you get cash into the door and you reinvest that cash yourself and you can build an amazing business. Uh, but there is no rationale for attracting venture capital funding because the market may be not big enough or um, if you maybe become five times bigger, um, uh, you still don't lock down the market. Um, and those are the type of companies that we are looking for and we can really conquer the world. And if, if you build a consulting business, yeah, it's it's uh, you have to start uh, <laughs> you have to start each year again by just putting out hours of work and 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 billing. Uh, yeah, that's not the typical venture capital business. Yeah, and I find it also interesting that you say um, some founders obviously value their independency, uh, and if you get 20, 30 percent of the shares, then obviously you're going to have a say in what will happen with the business. Are there also a lot of companies that want you to have this say? Because obviously you do have a lot of experience with other startups as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm also curious to hear uh, from Martin uh, how he sees that. But um, yeah, I think it has it has pros, it has cons. Martin, were you afraid of losing independence when you were talking to Slingshot? Because obviously you lose some independence with venture capital investors. At the same time, they bring in a lot of expertise. And also maybe their interests in a way are aligned with yours because you also want to double, triple your business. So what were your considerations there and why did you end up going for crowdfunding as well maybe rather than than going with slingshots <laughs> well at, at, at that phase uh, in the beginning of uh, felix i think we were too early to be funded by uh, by venture capital because uh, like ernst said we didn't have traction we didn't have revenue uh, so so that 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 guides you towards other uh, means of, uh, of of finance uh, but but later on uh, when you when you grow and you when you do have revenue you you can start up uh, conversations with venture capital uh, but then you you ultimately need to find out which uh, uh, which um, rights uh, you will uh, let others uh, yeah. also decide or which which don't. And I think that's that's part of the negotiations and the, and the process or the the phase where you are in as a, as a startup. How many demands you can make and how many funds you are raising. Uh, so that's also always a game uh, you have to play. And yep. Marta, I think a lot of startups are always like questioning, how can you trust an investor? How do you know which one I should go with or not? What um, can you say about that? Yeah, so I think uh, the reputation is, of, of course, very important. So you can see uh, mostly for investors, uh, their portfolio companies, and they are uh, probably uh, willing to introduce you to other uh, founders and uh, have, a, have a discussion with them. What do you think of uh, Slingshot or another company? Uh, so always, uh, yeah, check for references, um, and uh, I think uh, good, good, uh, reputable companies are willing to do so. 
Yeah. Okay. I totally agree with. I mean, if you um, if you are a, a founder with a very promising business, you can be critical yourself, um, yeah. and you have to be. Um, I mean, we will do our reference check checks, and founders should uh, do theirs. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm glad you already said that there's also some uh, added value of having a venture capital firm because um, maybe to 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 at least give some kind of promotion speech for venture capital in general. <laughs> I mean, we do believe it's more than money. Um, so um, you have to have a real good fit with the venture capital firm you're uh, you're taking on board. You have to believe that the combination uh, will add more value than than doing it yourself. Um, and and if you feel that you have that, then uh, then you can really start a good cooperation together. Um, and I think uh, also uh, investors matching with companies, it's also a bit like dating. And uh, you will get an, uh, a marriage agreement uh, on paper uh, because uh, you want to uh, put in paper what you what, what what your feelings are for each other. And so yeah, that's that's uh, that's also a bit funny. And and in in the startup world, you also have speed dates, for example, with investors to really quickly uh, get a feeling of uh, w- what investors are there. And um, yeah, I think that that's uh, so. Maybe our, our listeners should consider starting a Tinder for uh, for startups and investors maybe, and yeah. uh, participate in the Philips Innovation Awards with that. Yes. Okay. And Marta, uh, before we go over to the startup dilemma, um, we just have one last question for you. What tip would you give students with a good or an innovative ID? Um, I think yeah, get out there and and really. Um, Work on your idea, structure your thoughts, uh, write a business plan, write a, uh, a financial model, um, and and talk to to other students, talk to people in the street uh, if it uh, makes sense, talk to uh, friends of your dad. I don't know. So um, uh, yeah, really, if you really believe in your idea, you should, should get out out there and uh, and and test it. Well, then we go over to the startup dilemma. I the think. startup dilemma, yeah. And now you may wonder, what is the startup dilemma? We, at the end of every episode, we'd like to um, ask a few really tough questions uh, to our guests. So maybe you want to kick off, Annie? Yes, we start with the first dilemma. Okay, that's always being an entrepreneur and always running a risk or never being an entrepreneur again. Yeah, I think I would have to go for the first one to be always an entrepreneur. Um, it's it's uh, insecure at, at times and it can be lonely, but... Um, I do like uh, the risk of it and uh, the rewards you get out of it. Um, so, um, yeah, for me, that fits better. And I, I rather like to take a challenge than uh, be uh, be bored out uh, as not being an entrepreneur. And it's really interesting for you as well, Ernst, I think, because you already revealed that you may have some entrepreneurial ambitions yourself. If you would have to choose right now, what would it be? I can only agree with that. I yep. mean, I think that... Being entrepreneurial in a broader sense, uh, so it's it's not only about being an entrepreneur, uh, but being entrepreneurial is, I mean, that's the way uh, life is fun. Um, I d- well, we ch- we chose to rise get right guests than uh, than I guess. Um, secondly, maybe if you'd have to choose between receiving fifty thousand euros in cash or learning how to earn fifty thousand euros. Uh, maybe when you were younger and and still at an early stage of your life, and f- fifty thousand euros was, was still a lot. Maybe uh, start with you, Ernst. Fifty thousand euros still, still is a lot. lot. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to start off with that. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's this saying: learn a man uh, or or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Learn a, learn a man how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. So, I mean, if you if you take that into account, then of course. 
being able to earn 50,000 euros is, is, I think, the only right answer. I mean, um, also, if you look to it from a funding perspective, um, companies that are not able to earn 50,000 euros or able, uh, are a- able to earn money at all will also never get funding. So it also it always starts by the ability to uh, to build your business and and earn money. Yeah, and I see a lot of nodding from Mark. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, that 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 makes a lot more sense to to being uh, taught how to do this and uh, and get smarter than uh, than just uh, laying sitting backwards and uh, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully the third question is a bit more controversial, Anik, what do you think? Yeah, and it kind of relates a little bit back to what we were talking about before the dilemma. Well, um, giving up more than 50% of your equity, about partnering up with an investor who knows your business, or keeping most of the control, but you have to work with an investor that does not know your business. Yeah, I think... um it also depends on the stage, but I, I, I wouldn't give up uh, over 50% of the business too soon. So uh, therefore, I, I, I would rather uh, work with an investor uh, who is a little bit less uh, experienced in the business um, and, and, and keeping in control than uh, the other way around. And uh, if you're an innovative business, uh, then there, there might be chances that you ultimately have better ideas than the investor and you... I think, um, uh, yeah, you you as a founding team or in the company are the ones that are going to make this company uh, fly and uh, uh, achieve great results. Yeah. So, so actually, you I, say I think you shouldn't be just looking for uh, for expertise uh, uh, in an investor. It, it has to be a combination. Yeah. So you would advise startups not to give up um, too much of your equity in the early stages. No, not too soon. Okay. No, because then it will be demotivating. I think. And Ernst, do you have something to say yeah, about it? Yeah, it becomes boring. I mean, the, <laughs> the VC and the founder agreeing on everything. I, I wish yeah. things were always that easy in life. Um, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, over time, you can give up more than 50% of your company, um, but definitely not in the first round. Uh, I think it doesn't make sense. Um, and, and also from a venture capital perspective, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, and from our perspective, we want to make sure that the founders and all the team members have... Um, besides all other types of motivations, also the financial incentive to really make this business a big success. And that becomes very difficult if you already give up 50% in the first round, then the small or the share that is left for the people actually responsible for building the business becomes very, very small. So this is quite interesting because you say from an investor point of view, it may actually be not as appealing to get 50% of the shares in a too early stage because it will demotivate the people who founded it and that will actually be destructive to the ambitions of the of the actual business. Anik, I think next time we have to come up with, with even more difficult dilemmas because uh, I feel like Maarten and Ernst are actually agreeing way too much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, for now, thanks so much uh, for being here. Both thanks for you. having us. Yeah. yeah, thank you for yeah. your time. Thank yeah. you, Simon. Uh, we'll see the listener next time. Did you get inspired by this podcast and are you excited to participate in the Philips Innovation Award? Take a look at fiat.nl and find out how we can kickstart your ID or startup.